Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the story of you through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, your co-host. So happy to have you here, folks. Today, we've got a great guest. Her name is Liz Tran. She's the founder of Reset, which is an executive coaching company to CEOs and founders. She's got a brand new book that we explore. It's called The Karma of Success. And uh, we have a great conversation. She's a seven, uh, but we get into some fun stuff relating to all numbers and some really good coaching inspiration and advice as well. So she, she's a lovely guest. So happy to have her on the show. Glad you're here to experience all that she has to offer. And uh, that's it for me, Anthony. Glad you're here. Without any further ado, here is the man of the hour, Ian Cron. Hello, Typology Tribe. Welcome to this week's episode of the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality and of life through the lens of the Enneagram. My co-host, my friend, my producer, Anthony Skinner. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm excited about this interview. Man, I am too. We've got this amazing human being on today, uh, Liz Tran, who's written this cool book called The Karma of Success, Spiritual Strategies to Free Your Inner Genius. Uh, I'm I'm stoked, man, uh, because, you know, Liz, as you mentioned earlier in the uh, front end of the show, uh, you know, she's a, an executive coach to CEOs and entrepreneurs, founders of, of, of new endeavors. And of course, that's kind of a space that I occupy as uh, uh, an Enneagram teacher and trained coach and psychotherapist. Anyhow, I can't wait to spend time with Liz. Are you ready, Anthony? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Liz, welcome to Typology. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this conversation all week. Oh. <laughs> I, I want to nerd out on the Enneagram. <laughs> Come on. So you are an Enneagram 7. I have a son who is a 7. I have such a love for 7. I know the Enneagram has played a, a meaningful role in your life. Share that with us. And I, I have to say this yes. too. I love it when we get 7s who've done real deep transformational work. So mm -hmm. I'm super excited to hear your story. Thank you. Yeah. And later on, I want to hear more about what it's like to raise a seven, mm. Ian. Mm. Um, I'm intrigued by that. Um, curious, because I think it was hard for my mom to raise me as a seven. <laughs> you know, she, she was not a seven. So um, I started learning about the Enneagram in 2015. And I was working in this job where um, I worked at a consulting firm and we would partner with big corporations like Nike, Citibank. And we would try to help them pinpoint people in the organization who might make good internal startup founders. So let's say Nike was like, maybe we're thinking about doing ballet shoes. Who could we put on product and design who, you know, Joe, who's been here for 10 years, who has that kind of founder DNA. So I started look, looking at all different personality assessments, ways of thinking about people and I came across the Enneagram. And while we didn't actually use it then, I didn't use it for work then, it really transformed my life because I initially thought I was a three. Mm. I mistyped myself. Mm -hmm. And it was only when I spoke to, um, I actually, I was very curious about it as a seven. I became obsessed with it. And I started just reading every single Enneagram book I could. I had like six that I found at the bookstore and I read them all cover to cover. And I was like, wow. This makes so much sense. And at the end, I was like, maybe I'm not a three. So I found an Enneagram coach online 
reached out and I said, will you talk to me and tell me what you think? And he said, you are 100% a seven. (laughs) And I was like, great. Okay. And it gave me this freedom to think, okay, maybe I can do something different with my life. Mm. I'd been in tech for like 10 years um, and had never really chosen that path. I just did it because I graduated from college and I needed to make money, need to pay my bills. Um, and at that point I started exploring spirituality. And so mm. the book that I wrote, The Karma of Success, is the intersection of business and spirituality, which is, I think, a very seven thing to mash up a couple things together. So then I started getting into spirituality and I had this crossroads a year later in 2016 where it was like, do I go to Bali to help my friend run his yoga studio and cafe, or do I take this job offer in venture capital? And it would mean um, really long hours being tied to New York City. And they said to me, Liz, if you take this job, you have to promise that you'll stay here for four years, mm-hmm. which doesn't seem like a long amount of time for most people. But for a seven, you're like, ah, I can't. How could I promise? Yeah, you got to you got to think in dog place. years, right? That's right. You got to keep those options open, Liz. Keep those escape routes open. Every 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 year for a normal person is seven years for a seven. So yeah, that's right. That's really good. Yeah. That's very good. So I have a dog. So maybe he and I are, we're just on the same page, like the same mindset. And then learning about the growth strategies for a seven, I read. You know, growth for a seven is when you stay with something for a minute, a month, a year longer than you want to. Mm. Your heart's like, run, run, run. And when you stay, that is where growth lies. And I literally just read that and I was like, okay, this is my thing. I'm not going to go to Bali, run around, like obviously change careers again. I'm going to stick with this thing. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And mm. during that time where I stayed, I stayed there four years, like literally on the button. <laughs> like I quit right after four years. But during that time, I thought about quitting every six months and doing something different. And I always brought myself back to the wisdom of the Enneagram, which was that I am growing, I am learning. And I started to look for ways in which I was learning how to face the hard problems, to not run away, to go deeper, to actually look at things that made me feel uncomfortable. And instead of running away to you know actually figure out a path out, um, and it was around this time too where I stopped moving apartments. You know, I'd been in New York City for a long time, and I had lived in twelve apartments in ten years. Whoa! So every, yes. Wow. And so every time there was something like a little bit wrong with the apartment, or I heard of a cool new neighborhood, I was like, "I'm going in that neighborhood. I'm going to be on the cusp, the cool place." And learning about the Enneagram, I really changed my behavior. I stayed in the same apartment, right? I stayed in this job. And even though I knew the job wasn't for me long-term, I was like, I'm learning something here. Um, and, and it was in that job that I learned about executive coaching. I'd never heard of it before. And my boss said, executive coaching is a new thing. We want all of the founders that we invest in to have a coach. So will you go meet with all the best coaches in the Bay Area and New York, and then start to pair them with the founders in our portfolio. And I was, I think, maybe 32 or 33 at the time. And I was like, huh, maybe this is the job for me. And as I started to get to getting to know coaches and um, learning about different coaching methodology, I was like, yeah, maybe this is it. And at the same time, I wanted to bring the Enneagram to my coworkers because it was so transformational. And so um, I developed a workshop in tandem with a couple other Enneagram facilitators 
I didn't want to just do it my own because I wanted there to be like an outside party that also gave validity to, to it. Um, and I was working with about 15 people at the time. These are all investors in companies like Instagram and Spotify. And they were some of my closest friends. And through the Enneagram, we learned that almost everyone who worked at the firm was a three and I was a seven. Wow. But what's funny is no one thought they were a three. Really? They were all, yeah, they were all like, I'm a four. I'm an artist, you know. <laughs> like, okay, so that's so interesting because Anthony, here we go. There is, you know, how it is. There are three subtypes for every type, mm-hmm. and there is a self-preservation four, which almost always tests out or appears as a three or a seven. Interesting. And so it is the counter type of the four, and I'm a self-pres four, and so uh, we are you know, called the sunny fours. So it, it, we just don't present the way a social four does, which is sort of the iconic, you know, clove, cigarette smoking, you know, beret wearing poet, you know, uh, type. But anyway, the, uh, what's interesting to me about that is with threes is, is as founders is, you know, like the best entrepreneurs or sort of visionaries are sevens. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of when you're looking for an, when I look, I have a son-in-law uh, who is a seven who started a sparkling water company with my daughter that is now in like 12,000 stores, including like, you know, Whole Foods, Target. Wow. It's just, and it's only four years old and he's crushing, they're crushing it. I mean, this guy is so seven. It is crazy. He cannot, you know, he's just real seven. I mean, I, and, and he is going to be a serial startup guy for the mm-hmm. rest of his life. That's just what he's, he's Tigger. That's what he does, you know? <laughs> and and I'm curious to know, like in your experience, has that been true in tech and other places that your, your best entrepreneurs have been sevens? You know, I think that it is true. It comes very naturally to them and they're really good at the, what we call the zero to one phase, which is building mm-hmm. something out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it gets a little harder for them when they're like doing the mode of like, now we do the same kind of boring thing every day and it's yep. about scaling the operations. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. Like instead of trying to force them into being something that they're not, it's like help them expand, you know, give them a role where they're expanding mm-hmm. to new geographies or new product lines. Um, but it's funny because I work with the super early stage. So um, seed stage through series B. So call it like right. like zero employees to a hundred ish. Um, and um, as a seven, I resonate with that type the best. And I've been with some of my clients for years. And then when they get beyond that and their role changes, I actually don't find even the work as a coach I do as interesting for them. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because they're right. they're actually moving. And actually, I always encourage sevens to start thinking about selling at this point. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's a good which advice. is which is like, okay, I think you need to start thinking that about around year five, that this thing, you're gonna try and get this thing off your plate or get yourself and give a it CEO to a th- or- you need to get a CEO who's a three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That actually is a little bit more risk averse than a seven is. Uh, and they're just so much better at management. You know, sevens are always flattening hierarchies. Mm-hmm. They just hate the idea that's, that they're going to have to be over somebody, which might lead to distressing or painful interactions. Uh, they want everybody on the same team. Let's have a lot of bon ami. Get you know, we're all doing this new thing together. And you know, <laughs> then when it turns into a real business, it's like you better go find another task inside that ecosystem that's new. 
or get out. That's what that's been my sort of typical experience with a lot of sevens in the in the the business space. That makes sense to me. And is that because you know the sevens not wanting hierarchy? Like I definitely feel that pull myself. Um, but why is that? Is it because like they don't want it? Like they hate being you know, bossed around themselves. And so they don't want to bring that onto other people or is there a different reason? That's a really good insight uh, because sevens don't like people placing limitations on them as supervisors are want to do. Uh, They don't want someone to give them a single job uh, description. They want something, you know, with a great deal of variety, a long leash, you know, um, which threes often don't understand or eights don't really understand, nor will they indulge sometimes if they're not very aware of different ways of seeing the world. Uh, I also think, listen, you know, managers and people in authority in higher or who are, uh, you know, perched in the higher end of a hierarchy, they have to make hard decisions, decisions that cause conflict and feelings that don't, you know, and sevens don't want to feel pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just don't want to experience pain. Experience or and cause so, it for others, right? It's like, yeah, and it's just, I mean, and let's face it, you get into a managerial role and things move slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can feel more confined. You know, you know how it is. Liz, you know, a, a founder that hangs around too long, eventually the system eats him or her. Right. You know, like the system, you know, is like, wait a minute, you're now a threat to the ecosystem. You're no longer creating something. You're a threat to it because now you've got all these new and exciting risky ideas and the now 100 or 200 people underneath you are worried about their 401ks. That was not the case before. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, it can get as you know, it, but knowing the enneagram as you just were saying. Mm-hmm. You and I can have we you and I have never met each other and you and I are having a deep conversation now about the inner architecture of different types of people, so much so that if you and I spent another two hours on the phone, we could probably do a workshop tomorrow (laughs) together Mm -hmm. uh, uh, that would be really beneficial to other people about these very topics. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, the Enneagram has given us so much information about the operating systems of different Mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of my primary... Uh, foundational beliefs as a coach is that um, my job is not to help people try to get rid of their flaws or rather like be a different person, but to know what their zone of genius is, like Mm. where they're really, really talented and then try to maximize that as much as possible to spend, you know, upwards of 90% of your time in your zone of genius. And I think that's where the Enneagram has been helpful is like to give that language around genius. And then I love the scales of like healthy and unhealthy mm-hmm. because it's not saying like, if you're a seven, it's not like go be a three or go be an eight or go be a one. You're saying, Hey, actually just get the best sevenness out of you mm-hmm. that isn't, you know, self-sabotaging, right. <laughs> it isn't standing in your own way, which is why I liked it because I think for so much of my career, I tried to really contort myself into a box of being something that people expected out of me. And I think that's honestly why I mistyped myself as a three, because I felt this pressure of people wanted me to be a three. So I was like, oh, maybe I can just, I'm I'm just that, like, that's what I should be. And then the freedom of the Enneagram was like, no, actually like your strength as a seven is valid. It's not flakiness, right? It doesn't have to be flakiness. It can be curiosity, right? It doesn't have to be noncommittal. It can be expansiveness. And so I think I, you know, one of the most important things I do with my clients is like, you know, know your type 
So even if you are not a seven and doesn't come supernaturally to you, then you can find the ways of being a founder that resonate best with your skill set. Mm-hmm. That's true it, because, I mean, obviously any type could be a founder or an entrepreneur or a visionary. Some would have to expend more energy to mm-hmm. occupy that space than other types. Uh, it's also very industry dependent. Uh, you know, uh, in the say in the tech space, you might find. I mean, I, I work with some companies in the tech space, one in particular that Anthony knows that had 500 coders. And I, I remember, <laughs> and I, so they had this huge army of fives, like not all were fives, but a bunch of them were, mm-hmm. I mean, a bunch, right. And, uh, you know, for me, uh, helping those, uh, three, threes and eights mostly in positions at the, the senior level, um, learn how to relate to fives. They, they just had no idea who those people were <laughs> or how to relate to them. And and it, and you know, as you've experienced, Liz, you know, it was a big game changer for them. And to allow the fives to occupy their zone of genius and not judge it as being abnormal, mm. uh, because that's what people tend to do when they are lacking self awareness. They presume that their way the eight way or the three way is the only way to see the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they miss the genius of, of other types and it becomes really unfortunate, you know, Mm -hmm. really unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, all the different ways of seeing the world is, that is the most beautiful thing. And maybe that's like a very seven thing to say, but I like having friends of all different experiences. Mm. My husband is also a seven though. And so it gets us into a little bit of trouble. We're like so consistent and so aligned and always wanting to change. Um, But yeah, I, I have found, and this is like what they say in the Enneagram, right? Like for me, learning about the perspective of the five has been life-changing myself Mm -hmm. because the more I can be and pick up some of those qualities, yes. like the happier I am. Hey, everybody. One of the lessons I've learned over the years is that not everybody benefits from a traditional 50-minute counseling session. And this is why some people can go to couples therapy or personal counseling for a long time and never really get anywhere. This is why I'm such a believer of intensive counseling and my friends at Restoring the Soul in Colorado, created by my longtime friend Michael Cusick to help couples or individuals experience deep change and happiness day blocks over one or two weeks. Now listen, if you can't wait months or years to get to the bottom of an issue or to experience breakthrough, you need to get in touch with my friend Michael and his extraordinary team of counselors at Restoring the Soul. If you're looking to get out of the rut you're in but can't wait months or years, call Restoring the Soul today for a free consultation with Michael's staff. Call 303-932-9777 and learn how their intensive counseling process can help you. As a special bonus, just for Typology listeners, make sure to visit www.restoringthesoul.com slash typology to download their PDF called Five Ways Unaddressed Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationships. That's wonderful. And of course, by the way, writing a book is a little bit having to be a little bit of a five, right? You have to be you know, focused, you have to be very committed to sitting at the, in the chair every day, which can feel 
like, uh-oh, commitment or stuck. Research. And um, research has to happen. And, uh, you know, you you uh, there's a process that you can't escape. Anyhow, let's talk about your book. Good transition, Ian. We're going to talk about the karma of success, the uh, spiritual strategies to free your inner genius. Tell us about it, Liz. And then, I, again, we're going to keep tapping on the Enneagram. But I, I think the book is really fascinating. Thank you. Well, okay, so the book... The genesis of it is I was doing all this coaching for founders and I can only really coach like 15 people at a time. Mm. And I thought, how can I bring more coaching methodology to anyone who wants to learn and grow for people who necessarily aren't necessarily founders yet, or, you know, can't afford coaching? How can you create like a more equitable, accessible way of understanding some of these concepts? Because like me, I didn't even know that coaches existed until I was in my thirties. Um, and so I wrote the proposal for this book and I brought it to my agent and I said, I want to write a business book that's about how to go for what you want, straight up business book. And she was like, I mean, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. She was like, Liz, I feel like there's like so much more of your essence that is missing from this proposal. Like, what do you really care about? Tell me about all of you. And I was like, well, you know, I love spirituality. Like I love Buddhism. Reiki, astrology, you know, how can I combine all that into this book? But people have told me that like I need to pick a lane, like that if you're going to write a book, it has to appear in like one section of the bookstore and it can't be confusing. And she was like, no, that's like old, old advice. Like you should just write the book of who you are. And to me, that was like the most liberating thing to hear, especially as a seven. It was like, just be yourself. And like, you don't have to be confined to just one central idea. So then we had this book, we sold it to Penguin Random House, um, and it was going to be um, like the spiritual MBA. So like, if you want to like start a business, how do you do that through spirituality? Um, and as I was writing it, I was having a little bit of like a hard time. I would sit down, do my five inspired thing of like being super disciplined, doing all my research. But with about two months left in the book, I had a lot of words written, but it wasn't very good. It was like very clunky. It felt like I was in the flow state. It was like trying to drive a car with a parking brake on. Mm. And I went away for a weekend with a couple of my writer friends who are all working on books. And I had that quiet. I had that solitude because, you know, before that I was trying to write while simultaneously run a business. So it was busy, busy, busy. And with a little bit of space, I realized, oh my God, like I have the wrong topic. I want to write about intuition. Like I want to write about like the inner genius. I don't want to write the spiritual MBA. I want to write about like a person's inside world. And so literally with six weeks until my book deadline, I wrote to my editor and I was like, I got a different book, (laughs) which is such a seven thing. And luckily she was like, okay, okay. Like, let me see what you got. And after I made that decision, it was like everything flowed. And I wrote this book about how all of us have an inner genius within and it's about learning how to tune into it and learning how to hear it and you know worrying less about what society thinks what people tell you to be true who cares as much about data and information trust yourself like trust your inner voice so that's the, the thesis of the book that only existed 6 weeks before i started writing it um and then i turned my book in on time on the deadline and my editor was like this is one of the best books I've ever read from a first-time author. Mm. And it was in following that and being able to switch and change. Um, And it was funny because at the moment of that change, I thought, am I doing the seven thing where I'm trying to run away from the hard aspect of like writing this book and switching to something new? And I thought, you know what? Like 
let me just try it. And if there's flow and there's alignment, I'm going to keep going. And if not, I'll go back to the thing that I was doing before, before and just tough it out. And so that's been like something that I've found kind of interesting is knowing when I really am running away from pain mm-hmm. or when it's an actually like a valid intuitive switch that I need to make. Um, and I think that's the question of my life that I've been learning as I grow is, is it my intuition or is it my fear, right? Is it like afraid of pain or is it like actually running towards something real? Um, and so my hope with this book is that people um, learn how to explore within. I talk about the Enneagram in the book as like a great way to learn about who you are um, because my belief is that success comes from the inside out. It's not from doing all the right things, getting all the achievements and all the wins. It's about fully understanding yourself first, connecting with that inner genius, learning how to hear your own unique thoughts, and then everything else will flow from there. Mm, Man, I just love that. And I love how, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the Enneagram can, can speak into that with such tremendous force and insight. And as you noted, the Enneagram allows us and teaches us how to discern mm-hmm. our motives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, when you know, okay, so my tendency as a four is to take everything personally. <laughs> and, <laughs> and at times uh, to get um, stuck in the need to do something so original and unique, so authentic, that I end up you know, stalled, right? And uh, so sometimes when I'm writing books or working and I find myself in a, in a stall, I, I begin to ask questions that the Enneagram provides me with to figure out what's going on here. What do I have to do? Oh, I got to act a little bit more like a, like a healthy one and get off my ass and do something, do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stop feeling something and start doing something. And, and, you know, it, it, the Enneagram has given me that tool and it, it, it's really um, it saved me a lot of time. Maybe that's how I put it. It has saved me time. Yeah. And I think I'm also hearing you say that like it helps you understand yourself on a deeper level. You're like, okay, I know my true motivation mm-hmm. here because we operate so unconsciously that we can't help mm-hmm. it. You know, we are very much the product of like the families of origin that we came from. And I think the Enneagram also helped me to differentiate between like what was inherited from, you know, the way my parents thought versus like what was true for me as a personality. I love that you asked Mm. yourself that question too, because, you know, by asking the question and then answering the question, you get liberated to, you know, pursue the the new idea and not be conflicted. Right. It like clears, clears your, clears your whole being. Right. So that you can chase it down and get in that state of flow. I love that. Yeah. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. And when I wrote the book, I was really trying to, um, kind of capture the spirit of, of all the types in the book, you know, because I know that like I have a bent towards a certain way of seeing the world. Um, and you know, what I really wanted to do was like not write your typical prescriptive business book. That's like, these are the seven habits of highly effective people. Right. Or like, these are the top 10 things that like every entrepreneur does. I think a lot of that is bullshit. You know, it's like, it it's maybe works for the author, but it's not going to work for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so very much the book invites just a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, what do you think? Here are some frameworks. Where do you fall on the spectrum? You know, like here are eight motivators that can motivate people. What about you? It tells people, take the Enneagram, read a book, you know, like take the MBTI, learn about numerology. And so I think that that's like the empowering piece is like everyone's path is going to be really, really different. And that's sort of like 
I mean, it's exactly what I wanted to do with the book is to write a business book that didn't say there's one right way. There's one right way for you. You know, it's your way, but there's not a copy paste scenario that we need to aspire to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in the book, you talk about, uh, let's say, building a career or, you know, uh, and you, you talk about mechanical work. You, you talk about... Um, uh, two other sort of forms of work, intuitive work, and then also the inner genius. Can you just tell me a little bit about each of those? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so mechanical work is the work that most of us are used to. It's like um, there's a formula, there's a blueprint, and we know exactly what we do need to do to follow the plan. It's like you get X degree, and then you go and do the thing that utilizes that degree. And then you position yourself to be in the right position so that you can get promoted and make more money or move to another company, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's very externally focused. It's about mm-hmm. what's on your resume. It's about who's in your network. And it's about your pedigree, mm-hmm. you know, like what criteria you have to be in in that position. And you sort of look around with mechanical work and you judge people based on what you see on the outside, like where they went to college, where they worked, et cetera. And that was the world that I was trying to really fight against. Um, I grew up with a mom who's an immigrant from Vietnam. And so she was like, you need to like have status to like prove that our family made it in America. And, uh, and so it was very much like mechanical work, like show that you can do it. Um, and I always struggled. Like I, I did not do well in that paradigm. Every time I, you know, tried to do something that was mechanical work that would like prove my worth, like get into law school or get a job at Google, I just literally fell flat on my face. Mm. Like it wasn't the path that was working for me. And the way that I learned was intuitive work, which was, okay, forget what other people are telling you is the right next step or what looks good on your resume ask yourself what feels good for you. And that is related to tuning into the inner genius. So um, the ancient Romans invented the term genius. You know, they're the first ones to think about genius as a a concept. Um, And the root word of that means to be born with. And so genius is actually something that they thought every single person had that it's not just relegated to like the Nobel Prize winners and, you know, the people who are in the top of their field. It's for everyone. Everyone has this inner genius that's like whispering ideas into their ear. It's helping them solve problems. And I really believe that to be true. It's like the same way that Einstein, when he was trying to solve um, a science problem, he would go into a rocking chair, hold two metal balls in his hand. And once he started to fall asleep, the balls would drop and clatter on the ground and he would wake up and he would capture whatever idea was brewing in his subconscious and write it down super quickly. And so my thought was like, yeah, we're doing all these decisions based on mechanical work, but like we're missing out on the wisdom of the inner genius of this intuitive voice that's telling us the right path to take. And I really believe that every great work of art, technology, knowledge, comes from the intuition. It's like, you know, you didn't start this podcast by like sitting down and looking at like a Gantt chart of all the possible podcasts that you could make and the demographics of what people were interested in. And then like see that the Enneagram was trending on Google search terms. You're just like, I know exactly what I need to do. Right. And that's like what I want to foster in people is that those types of insights and revelations um, aren't just like every once in a while, but they can actually Mm. be flowing into um, our ears 
all day, every day with the right environment. And it starts from the inside out. It starts from tuning out the world around us and tuning into the world inside. Mm. I appreciate what you're saying about mechanical work and also what you shared about your own you know, personal history. Uh, you know, this is bar- borrowing an idea from Carl Jung, but it, it speaking about your own relationship with mom, you know, there's I think what Jung would say is don't feel the need to live the unlived lives of your parents, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Or of your culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, that which is what you discovered and what the Enneagram can help us discover. Because your mom or mine or whatever may say, in order for you to be loved, you have to conform to my expectations, which would mean you acting like a three, even though mm-hmm. that's not who you are. Right. And then in order to uh, maintain relationship, then you abandon your true identity to please the important other. And, yes. and then you spend a lot of years in therapy uh, <laughs> trying to un- <laughs> trying to figure out why am I so miserable? Uh, it's because you're living someone else's unlived life. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things Enneagram does, as you said, is reveal to us, at least in part, our inner genius. And then it asks us the question, why aren't you doing this? Yes. Okay. So is it okay if I go off a little tangent? Go based on, on. Okay. Wait, you're inspired. <laughs> Seven tangent. Um, so I think it would have been so empowering if my mom had known that I was a, a, a seven, mm-hmm. right? Or even had that language to know that she was a three, if she knew about it. Um, I am pregnant with my first child. Oh, yay. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm thinking a lot about how, um, you know, how I can apply that. When can you know uh-huh. when your kid, what type your kid is? Mm-hmm. Great... Is there an answer to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is. Um, it depends. Uh, I would say that in general, as a general rule, not a hard and fast one, I try not to do any Enneagram work with people until late adolescence, Mm -hmm. in part because developmentally prior to that, the personality, yes, the nuts and bolts are in place, but it's, it's kind of wet cement, particularly with little, little ones, you know, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds. Now that said, I have met 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds who discovered their types very, very quickly, um, and they were accurate, in in Mm. part because they don't have the overlay of tons and tons of uh, unhealthy, broken stories, that narratives that they've taken on that, you know, sort of distort and make it difficult to see their true personality expression. And I I think... um, you know, with a little person, the thing, the best way to love them is just to be really, really curious all the time. And so that they feel safe to reveal to you who they are over time. Mm. Uh, because you're just being curious. You're not telling them who to be. You're just like, well, tell me more about that mm-hmm. way of seeing the world or why that that manner of playing is fun. Or, you know, you're just observing. And then a time will come when they'll be ready to explore instruments like the Enneagram and you'll be there ready to have the conversation with them. I love that, that the work is not to try to figure out who they are right away and like Mm -hmm. pigeonhole them, but rather just to create a really safe environment for them to express whatever they are. Mm -hmm. I really, really like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad I wish, by the way, I wish I had done a better job of that with my kids because I will say I didn't know the Enneagram. When uh, I had kids, uh, little ones, you know, now, I mean, late adolescence I did, and that was a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we, we, we try to do the best we could to not make our children 
facsimiles of ourselves, which I think is what is the one of the most egregious mistakes we make as parents. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's why now I would tell people to be curious um, about their children more than anything else. And I think children receive curiosity as love. Like you are, right. t- you take an interest in who I am mm-hmm. uh, without telling me that it's not good, uh, that I have to be somebody else. And um, yeah. All right, let's talk about, I want to talk about the four spiritual strategies before we get off of here and why they're important in this journey of, you know, spirituality at work. Yes. Okay. So, you know what would be fun? Yeah. Can we play a fun game? Yeah. Maybe I'll tell you about the spiritual strategy and then we can say like what we can all share what type we think that feels like. Because okay. I have kind of an idea, but I also want to hear your, love your ideas it. too. Love it. I've okay. got a pen right here. <laughs> okay. So the first spiritual strategy is called inquiring inward. Um, and this is the idea that you were creating that um, quiet space um, to hear your inner voice. And so going inward first means cultivating um, the three S's, which are silence, solitude, and stillness. Um, another part of inquiring inward is to learn your type. So that's where I talk about the Enneagram and astrology and numerology so you can figure out who you are. And then the last part of inquiring inward is like actually building that connection to your intuition once you've had that you know, spaciousness and also know who you are. Um, and so the whole idea is that you're with this strategy, you're trying to spend as much time in your inner world as you do in the external world. You know, external world is like going to work, going to a party, running errands. And it's like the inter- internal world is like you in a book or you in a journal or you in a quiet room. Okay. So that's the spiritual strategy. All right, here's the types that would probably be really most in in, in comfortable in that space. Mm-hmm. Fours, fives, and nines. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fours, fives, and nines. Ones would do it out of compliance and they could be good at it, right? Uh, twos would really struggle. Twos, uh, more than most types, have struggle with being alone. Mm. It's really mm-hmm. hard for twos to be alone. Uh, for mm. threes, this would seem inefficient and unproductive. Most threes might say <laughs> uh, silence, solitude, and stillness. Uh, like what, you know, that doesn't make sense, right? It's like, and if they did it, they might just do it as a, something that needs to be checked off on the list of things to do and, but not really glean what they need to from it. Anyway, I could go on right. with the other numbers. Like like exercise, meditate, you know, that type of thing. Yes. Like their to-do it, list. Got it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So we could go through all the other types, but I just think four fives and nines would be really great at the inquiring inward. So natural. Beautiful. Beautiful. That makes sense to me. So you're a four. Yeah. Do you spend a lot of time inquiring inward? Yes. Mm-hmm. Naturally. A lot. Instinctively. Very naturally. Yeah. To, Almost. To default. And as a young man, as a young man to a fault. Yeah. Uh, now, what was born out of that, the genius side, right, was books, uh, songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became a psychotherapist uh, because of my interest in the inner life. Um, you know, uh, there was just a lot of ways that that made itself known, but yes, as a four, super easy for me and, and silence and, and solitude and stillness are actually quite easy for me. Mm-hmm. And so I actually think it's like, maybe what my advice here is that if you are one of the types that is not a four or five or a nine, um, even a little bit is works wonders. So even if you spend like 
five minutes. Yeah. You set your phone alarm for five minutes and you're just really quiet. Like I'm a seven. And so if I sit down and I meditate, um, but like my mind is even just like going and punch a bunch of different directions, I'm like, that still counts. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Sure. It counts for me because it's like good enough, but yeah, you know, it's yeah. like closer enough to that. Um, okay. So the second spiritual strategy is called manifest mindfully. And this is about, you know, that buzzy word that we're hearing a lot, manifestation. And this is the idea that you can create anything that your mind believes to be true. So if you want to write a book or you want to release an album or you want to start a company, it all starts with believing that it's possible in your mind's eye first. Um, and the steps that we have for manifest mindfully, um, are one to like visualize. So do what high performance athletes do and like literally envision in five sensory detail, that thing happening to you. Um, the second part is to develop confidence. So knowing that you can do anything and like, there's some exercises for how you can build up your, um, you know, innate confidence. People think confidence is like you're born with it or you're not. I disagree. Like, I think you can cultivate more of it. And then finally, the third piece is to express gratitude. And so if you are actually kind of thankful and appreciative for all the abundance in your life in the moment, then it actually makes it easier to get more. You know, if you have a negative mindset that nothing good happens to you, it's really hard to manifest more in the future. Um, and so that's the spiritual strategy is essentially like if you want it, you can get it. Um, but you, one, have to believe it's possible. Two, you have to believe it's possible for you. And then three, believe that the universe wants to give it to you. Okay, I know the three times. <laughs> okay, let's hear them. <laughs> it's three, three seven, seven, and eights. Eight. Boom. Oh, you two are <laughs> so good. So good. Okay, three sevens and eights. I love it. Yeah, for sure. They're all the most, uh, they're very, uh, you know, threes and sevens, but they are so future oriented. Mm -hmm. They're like crazy. Sorry, eights. They're like very, very future-oriented numbers, more than any other types on the Enneagram. Fours, fives, and nines are more past-oriented than any other number on the Enneagram. Uh, they are withdrawing types, fours, fives, and nines, which makes that solitude, silence, stillness thing uh, rather easy. And the three, seven, and eights uh, are the most assertive numbers on the Enneagram. And so there you see this confidence and this, we can do this and, you know, uh, all that, that kind of stuff. So, okay. Enriching your energy. Come on. Okay, great. Okay. So we all have an energy field just mm -hmm. as the same way you have like a physical body. Um, and this spiritual strategy is about taking care of your energy field, the way that you take care of your physical body, because it matters. Right. And like, you know, when you walk into a room, people feel your energy before you even say a word. And so how do you keep your energy clean, right? And so that it doesn't, it's not picking up other people's energy. Um, how do you protect it from like bad energy? You know, when you like are in just, you get trapped in a conversation with someone who's in a really bad mood and you're like, feel the same way when you leave for a day, can't shake it off. And then the last part is amplifying. So each of our energy fields has like a unique color and vibration to it. And the more we can, um, you know, be more of ourselves, the more magnetic we are to other people. Um, and so the book gives some recommendations for how you can, um, um, enrich your energy field. And a lot of that is around like doing things that you love and saying no to things that you hate. <laughs> it sounds really basic and simple, but it's permission for people to like, you know, if you, um, love, pickleball and it amplifies your energy, just go do it, even if it's not productive, right? And if this person um, is, 
you know, is, is draining you, even if they're a close friend, you set up some boundaries and you keep them out of your life. Um, and so the strategy is about giving permission to intentionally cultivate the things that make you feel good so that you can protect your energy field and then leave out the things that are bothering you, even if you have a hard time saying no. So I would say, just as in response, I think that's any type on the Enneagram that's done work. Mm. You know, I, I just think that sounds like a, a healthy, self-aware person that uh, is appropriately paying attention to their body, their, you know, their, as you would say, energy. I agree. Actually, I think it's evolution, by the way, energy. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, if you didn't have a sense of, of other creatures having energy, you'd have been eaten by a lion. So, you know what I mean? Like, that's not the energy you want, you know, uh, right now. It make run. So, you know, uh, I think uh, when you talk about that, I just think, you know, like I do think, though, one number on the Enneagram that would do really well with that is sevens. That's what I was thinking. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting. There's a version of the seven. The, it's called the one-to-one seven. And the one-to-one seven has what we call a, and you know this from the big five personality measure, they have a very big, they would score off the charts on what's called openness to experience. And so these sorts of interests, you know, uh, this one-to-one is actually the the type that would most likely go to India to do, you know, six months of, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, yoga. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's like they're very open, you know, Mm -hmm. very open to these sorts of ideas. And in fact, one of the people that is sort of embodies that perfectly is Steve Jobs. Now, mm. now, now Jobs, I think, actually had some s- serious psychological problems. <laughs> you know, he was a mad genius, but we can't forget that he was a little mad. Um, right. And, you know, wasn't the kindest human being in the world or a person that, you know what I mean? Like a genius, but maybe kind of crazy. Um, and, and yet, what did he do as a young man? He's hanging around in India. He's dropping, he's trying, he's doing psilocybin. He's looking for new experiences. And, you know, so I think when it comes to this idea of enriching energy, I do think a lot about that particular variant of the seven that's so, mm-hmm. so open to that sort of stuff. You know what? I think you got my number exactly because I'm a one to one seven and I did go to India. <laughs> that is hilarious. No way. Like, yeah. I went to India. I was like studying yoga, learning about all this stuff. I'm like, wow. That's so, so weird. Predictable. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, but tiggers do what tiggers do. You know, there's just, just no true. way around it. You know, I wonder too if this one would be like kind of tougher for a two because they are so much about, you know, being with other people that like it's harder for them to be like, oh, well, like I need to make time for myself. Yes, mm-hmm. it would be hard yeah. for a two. Uh, I think uh, in some ways it would be hard for a one. In, mm. uh, in some instances. Um, and, uh, but I mean, again, I like, I think, I think any number that's done their work could be really good at this seven. So I think would have to burn less energy than the other eight types, mm-hmm. one to one seven. So becoming brilliant. Okay. Becoming brilliant. Um, this one's all about mindset. Um, and it's essentially this idea that if you want to be successful, you have to turn all of your obstacles into advantages. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's this mindset that you're like, this thing isn't happening to me. I am not the victim. It is happening for me. And I'm going to take any of this misfortune, any of these, this bad luck, these things that aren't going my way, these failures, and I'm going to figure out a way to turn them into gold. Mm. Um, and so the this spiritual strategy kind of teaches you how to think that way and gives you some examples of people who have done it. Mm. Wow. Liz, this is so interesting. So 
You know who's mad right now, Anthony? Who? Ones, twos, and sixes. Because <laughs> they're, they're left out. <laughs> yeah, we got some repeat they're numbers all, in these. Yeah. Really, you know, the ones are thinking, gosh, it's so inappropriate. He left us out. Yeah. Uh, and then the twos, the twos are feeling like, what? He doesn't like me? And then uh, sixes are, are feeling like, I knew I couldn't trust him. He's, an, he's that authority figure, Ian. I just I could, knew I couldn't trust right. him. Anyway, I, I do think, you know, obviously what we're describing here is really um uh what all these types can look like yeah. when they're operating with high high self-awareness yeah. and and when they've done some spiritual and psychological work uh and they're operating with in what you would say Liz in in, in the healthiest expression of 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 their of their type right uh and uh so i i you know i'm and I'm all on board. I think it's fantastic. Everybody, I'm talking to, to Liz Tran. She's the author of the new book, The Karma of Success, Spiritual Strategies to Free Your Inner Genius. Uh, Liz, tell people how they can learn more about all the cool stuff you're doing. You can find me on Instagram. It is at ResetNYC. That's my company's name. Mm. And then I have a website, Liz-Tran.com. And then the book is anywhere that has books. So... <laughs> Your choice. All right. Hey, Liz, I mean, I hope we we actually do run into each other one day in our work. Uh, you can certainly come to San Miguel de Allende and come hang out with uh, with us. Uh, That'd be cool. I know. It's a, it is a cool and a very seven place, I will add. Every single day, there is a Catholic parade uh, with people <laughs> dancing in the streets with a sta- <laughs> statue of a saint. You know, like, like you're in the, like, like you're like in Little Italy, you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's some church that's got some saint that's being celebrated every day. <laughs> and uh, anyway, um, thanks for, for being on with us. Anthony. Brother. Wasn't that good? Another rich conversation. Thanks so much, Liz. Mm, Oh, my. (laughs) Thank you both so much. I really hope we can have a chance to work together, too. I mean, I want to send some founders for some Enneagram work your way. You know, I think it would help them a lot. So feel free. Feel free. You're into it. I am. Feel free to do it. Feel free to do it. Typology friends, uh, listen to these words as always. May you have love. May you have joy. May you have peace. And may you have healing. May you have rest. Until next time.